This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Good morning! My name is Joe Merrick. I'm the lead pastor here at Journey, just as Brian said this morning. Welcome. I hope you had a great 4th of July, had a great uh, time with friends and family. Uh, We're so excited you are here with us uh, today. Uh, If you're new with us, I want to take a moment and just encourage you. There is a uh, connect card in the seat back in front of you. Really, uh, uh, I want to encourage everyone uh, to reach uh, into the seat back in front of them, grab one of those. It's our desire to have one of these from every family here today. Uh, There's information you can put on there, certainly, but also uh, there's uh, prayer requests, decisions you made, other things you want us to know about, you can write on the back. Uh, You can fill that out this morning. And then uh, as our ushers go by at the end of our service together, you can drop that in the offering bags or there's some baskets as you exit uh, in the main hallway and here out of the auditorium this morning. So we hope that you take a moment to do that uh, today. With that shared, let me just pray for us, and then we'll jump in. God, we have had just a wonderful morning already of singing your praise, of talking about how we need you and you alone. God, that's a theme we will see today. God, my prayer is just in this next 20 minutes or so that your spirit works in our hearts, in our lives, that it reveals those lessons, those things you want us to hear about, to learn, to grow in you today. God, every one of us here, despite what's happening in our life, despite how long we have known you, you have something to teach us, God. We thank you for that. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for these scriptures we're about to read. And we just ask that you open our hearts and our minds to your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, we are in week number six now, week number six of our summer 10-week series on the book of Philippians. One of the things we like to do here at Journey in the summers is we take uh, some section of scripture, maybe it's a, uh, a larger book, maybe it's a character, maybe it's kind of a survey of the Old Testament, New Testament, and we take kind of a longer look through the summer, uh, a deeper look at those topics, and we also don't make it just about coming and hearing me talk for a few minutes each week. Uh, We accompany it with a reading plan. It's been great to see so many of you participating in that reading plan. Uh, Details of the reading plan are in your program if you haven't already joined in. Uh, Some of you have finished that this week. That's not a mistake. It it didn't go all the way through uh, our 10 weeks. I think it was about a a month-long reading plan. I hope uh, that you took that habit and those things that you learned and you picked a new reading plan, uh, a new way to kind of engage with Scripture. That's part of the point of this summer series as well, is it gives us this moment, this moment to kind of hit the reset button on our 
personal engagement with Scripture. We come together collectively, and and we read through something, and that hopefully kind of engages that spiritual habit of reading Scripture for us all. Maybe you're like me, uh, who got a few uh, days behind, and you want to catch up, please do that. This last week, uh, my family and I were on vacation. I booked a a cabin without Wi-Fi. I think I knew that. I don't know. And, but then it was like 10 miles before our cell phones worked. So we were like really cut off from the world. And sometimes that sounds nice, but it's amazing. I, the, my YouVersion Bible app didn't work. I couldn't check the weather. We didn't know what we were going to do the next day. Uh, so, uh, it, you know, I got a few days behind. I'm uh, looking forward to catching up this week. If that's your story, I hope you will catch up with me in the coming weeks. Today... Today we're going to continue in the book of Philippians. We're going to skip just a little bit. Um, we, uh, I was supposed to just finish the end of chapter 2, and I'm actually going to jump to the first part of chapter 3 this morning. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 today. Uh, so that's where we're going to be. If you want to follow along this morning, if you've got the Bible app open or you've got a Bible with you, make sure you're kind of uh, finding Philippians chapter 3 first 11 verses. We're going to read those in just a moment, but before we do that, I want to take a a moment this morning and just kind of help you uh, get your mind in some of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, One of the things that gets uh, clear in this scripture that we're reading, we've talked about it some, but it becomes even more clear is in uh, Philippians chapter 3, the first 11 verses, we see Paul, he's the author, right? He's writing from jail. We see how Paul is obsessed with Jesus. He's obsessed with Jesus. Now, obsessed in our context is oftentimes a negative word. It's something that we kind of use to describe an unhealthy fixation, an unhealthy um, a focus on something, but I mean obsession in the best possible way. I mean, he can't get enough of Jesus, of who he is, of learning about him. In verse 8 of chapter 3, we can get to this uh, verse later as well, but just listen to Paul's own words. What is more? I consider everything a loss, all the other stuff in life because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things and I consider them garbage, trash, waste to be thrown away that I may gain Christ. That's the words of somebody who's really focused in, who's solely focused in and obsessed with Jesus. I'm going to talk more about that verse later. But what Paul's saying is Christ is so perfect. There's nothing that can be added to him. Uh, faith in him is, is so, uh, there's nothing better than faith in him. There's nothing that can be added to him, nothing that can be added to the faith, nothing that can be taken away. And he's saying, I am I, Paul, I want nothing more than to know Jesus more and more each day. 
That's Paul's heart. My prayer for you, for me, is we kind of get some of Paul's heart today. Uh, Just for uh, illustration purposes, to kind of get our mind on uh, this word obsession, kind of get the right picture in our mind, Uh, here's a little picture of what obsession might look like today. We're in the middle of World Cup soccer. I don't know if that's a big deal for you or not. It's a big deal for a lot of people. And this week, week I was reading about someone uh, who it's a big deal for. His name is Clifford Francis. I think we got a picture of him today. And he's from southern India. Southern India. And here's a little bit of his story. He's a huge soccer fan. One of his uh, uh, friends came to him and they just said, Hey, are you going to go to the World Cup? And I love his answer. His answer was... Of course. Of course. Now, there were some problems that uh, Cliffin had. He was a teacher in southern India. He made about $40 a day. He didn't have enough money to buy a plane ticket, to uh, have housing and food and all those kind of things that go into a big trip like that. And so he thinks, what's the, what's the cheapest way? The cheapest way I could get from here, southern India, all the way to Russia to watch the World Cup. He says, I got a bike, not a motorbike. Got a bike with little pedals. 2,600 miles one way. Through how many countries, through uh, all kinds of terrain, elevation, weather, he pedals his way to the World Cup. Now that's obsession. And uh, it's the kind of guy the Apostle Paul would say, I get that. I I don't understand why uh, you're so obsessed with a game, especially a game that you're not uh, playing in. But Paul says, you're my kind of guy, I bet. Because I get total devotion. I get... uh, uh, putting everything on the line. I get uh, people around you saying, you're going to do what? I get big, crazy plans. You see obsession in Paul's life. We, we read about it already in uh, verse 8 of chapter 3 that we kind of just got us going this morning. We've seen it as we've uh, talked uh, through uh, in the last five weeks. We've gone through just really the first two chapters of Philippians. And one of the things that we have seen again and again is Paul's focus. We've marveled at how he's in jail. He's uh, facing possible death. And yet his focus seems to be on um, the advancement of the gospel. He, he uses this word rejoice again and again, this word joy uh, to describe how he says, hey, you know what, uh, Philippians, I know you're worried about me, but guess what? The Roman guards who are imprisoning me right now, they're hearing about Jesus. He says, you know, uh, the church here in Rome, uh, sometimes they were kind of timid, but you'll never believe what happened. Since they've heard about my imprisonment here in Rome, they haven't grown uh, more timid, they've grown more bold. 
And he says, you know what? I rejoice in that. I'm praising God for that. He says, you know, I might be facing death, but no matter what happens to me, I know God is going to be glorified. He's so focused. He's obsessed. We've seen that throughout Philippians so far. We're going to see it some more today. Again, Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 today is where we're going to be. And I'm just going to kind of walk us through some of these verses. Verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. There's that word again. Joy. Rejoice. And really, um, verse 1 here serves kind of as a bridge between all that Paul has uh, talked about in these first couple of chapters. And he uses that word uh, joy again and again, like we talked about in the first couple of chapters, and, and with the doctrinal troubles he's about to address with the Philippians. And so it's this important bridge because Paul's tone is about to change. Let's see that happen here in verse 2 and 3. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. This might be quite a switch in language. Right from verse 1, rejoice, to verse 2, look out for those those dogs, those uh, uh, evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. It's this quick, abrupt change in tone and language And Paul here, what he's doing is he's kind of advancing two arguments at the same time. One, he's saying rejoice. Hey, that word joy, that's what we've been talking about for two chapters now. Paul says, uh, I want you to uh, have joy in, in your relationship with Jesus despite your circumstances. It's been a a prime subject in chapters 1 and 2. He encourages them to have unity with other brothers and sisters, even though there's some quarreling in the church in Philippi. He says, and this is how you're going to do it. He says this especially in chapter 2. He says, this is how you're going to have unity. You're going to put other people before yourself. You're going to be humble just like Jesus was humble Don't forget that lesson, Paul says. He says, and and keep an eye out. Keep an eye out for people who want to add requirements to God's grace. In other words, people who say, great, you believe in Jesus. Great, you're forming your life after him. But if you really want to be a follower, You must also do blank. In Paul's view, people who do this reject the gospel entirely. 
Because the point is God's grace is enough. That's why his tone changes so much. Calling those uh, people who do this enemies, evildoers, dogs, a very negative word in this uh, culture and context, mutilators. What Paul seems to be so concerned with is something that has happened in some other places. There appears to be this group of people that are kind of following Paul around to different churches that he he starts, and they cause trouble for him. And here's their big issue. They're they're Jews who believe that if you really uh, want to be counted as God's people, if you really want to be a follower of Jesus, then you have to become a Jew first. You have to be circumcised before you can be really counted as one of God's people. That seems like a strange topic for us, but it was a big deal in Paul's day. It's a big deal. Just some background where this idea comes from in Genesis chapter 17. In Genesis chapter 17, uh, uh, God brings Abraham, uh, the father of the Jewish people. He brings them, him out uh, from his tent in the night sky, and there's all these stars in the sky, and, and they seem to be everywhere. And Abraham is old, and he has no children, and he wants nothing more than children. And God says, one day, Your descendants are going to be as plentiful as these stars. And the sign of this covenant that I am making with you, a father of the Jewish people, the covenant, the sign of this covenant is you yourself are going to be circumcised and all your household is going to be circumcised. Paul uh, other apostles, even the Old Testament itself says, you know, this, this uh, custom, it had its day, but it, the real heart here, the real issue was circumcision of the heart, marking our heart, not our flesh. And so uh, those who came later, who followed Paul around and said, you know, uh, you, if you want to be a Gentile believer, you've got to be turned into a good Jew First, before you can be a follower of Jesus, a real follower, Paul says, you're my enemy. You're my enemy. And what he was doing here is what he does in so many other places in Scripture. He's protecting the Philippians. He's protecting them. He's doing it aggressively. That's why his language is so harsh. And he's protecting them not just from physical pain. That wasn't the issue for Paul. He was protecting them from this very dangerous practice. He's protecting them from this very dangerous practice of adding something to God's free and perfect grace. This God's free and perfect grace. He goes on in the rest of chapter 3. To say, you know, if you uh, believe in God's and tr- are trusting in God's free and perfect grace alone, you're going to exhibit three characteristics. It's the kind of the continuation here. 
It says you're going to worship by the Spirit, you're going to have glory in Christ, and you're going to put no confidence in the flesh. And it's really this last one that he focuses in on, he elaborates on. Because that's what these enemies of Paul were doing. They were putting their confidence in their flesh, what they could do. They were saying God's grace is good, it's a wonderful gift, but it's not enough. You've got to add this to it. And Paul is screaming, no, don't listen. And so while circumcision uh, might not be the hot-button topic today that it was in Paul's day, the principle that, pot, that Paul taught behind this issue still applies. Because the danger of requiring circumcision wasn't that it was too high a price. It was that nothing humanity does can be added as a requirement to God's grace. In short, Paul's saying to the Philippians, Paul is saying to you and me today, rejoice in the Lord Rejoice in the Lord. Don't rejoice in what you have done. That's what he means when he says, put no confidence in the flesh. He's not done. He, he, he wants to uh, keep hammering this point away for the Philippians. And so what he does, he says, look at my life as an example. I'll prove this to you. He says, if anyone has reason to boast in their Jewish pedigree, in their Jewish identity, look at me, Paul says. Verses 4, 5, and 6. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, Paul says. I can one-up you. Circumcised, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless, he says. Paul here says, if there are those among you who say you have to point to your circumcision to belong to God, I can do much more than that. I can do more than that, Paul says. But listen how he continues. Verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, all these things I just listed for you, all these things that so many people take pride in, I now consider it what? Loss. I now consider it a, a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I'm going to belabor the point here. I'm going to keep uh, hammering away at this. I consider everything a loss. Everything in comparison with who Jesus is, is nothing. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And then Paul says, Get this. Not only is it a loss, I consider it garbage, junk, 
waste to be thrown out on the street that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. That's the circumcision piece. That's the law piece that comes from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. In short, Paul is saying here in verses 7, 8, and 9, is that all that stuff that so many people in in his day put pride in, they wore on their chest like a a badge of honor, all the stuff that they kind of spent their life on, they, they thought brought so much value. He says, let me see that and I'll file it away here in the trash can under before I knew Jesus. Before I knew Jesus, this was important. But, but now that I know him, now that I have this relationship with him, it all seems so pointless. Then he goes on. As if all of that wasn't enough, he says in verse 10 and 11, let me tell you what's really important. Right there, at the beginning of verse 10. I want to know Christ. Then he affirms it again. Yes. Yes, I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I count it all as a loss. Count it all as a loss, but I don't really care. I don't really care because there's a surpassing greatness to knowing Jesus, and I'm consumed with knowing him. That's Paul's heart. That's what he's portraying to the Philippians. Is they're dealing with this kind of theological issue with these people who are uh, inserting confusion. That's what he's saying to us today. I'm consumed with Jesus. He's saying that's what our hearts need to be. He started today talking about that word, obsessed. Paul's obsession with Jesus consumed with knowing him. That's what we see in verse 10. After describing all that so many are so proud of, take so much pride in, Paul says, it's garbage compared with Jesus. I don't want it. What I want, Paul says, so much greater. I want to know Jesus more and more. If I could just sum up what Paul's been saying here, sum up what Paul's been saying here and kind of put it into our context today, Paul essentially in this latter half of these verses has been saying this, I know what human accomplishments can get you. 
Then he, just, he gets really frank. He says, you know what? When it comes down to it, when it comes to accomplishments, I've achieved more than most in my life. And he says, I'm looking for something greater. I'm looking for something greater. I'm looking for greater power. I'm looking for the power of Jesus' resurrection in me. The question, the question that these verses ask us today, the question that Paul asks in, in how he describes this, is where are we placing our pride, our trust? Is it in God alone? I fear that for too many of us, the answer would be something that, that Paul was, was trying to teach against. He was, he was warning the Philippians about not the circumcision issue, but uh, this issue of trusting in God plus something. God plus something else. God plus you fill in the blank. God plus work. God plus my bank account. God plus all, all my accomplishments. God plus my degrees. God plus uh, whatever it is for you. Your, your politics. Hear this. Paul's really clear with the Philippians. And I hope we're hearing him be clear with us today. God plus Something else is not trusting in God at all. That's what he's trying to convince the Philippians of. That's what all this issue about circumcision is about. It's confusing for us, but that's what Paul's saying. God plus something else is not trusting in God alone. It's God's grace is sufficient. Today, as we close, simply want to just close with a time of prayer. As Daniel and the band come forward this morning, I want to close with a time of prayer. It's just a time of confession. That's what Paul is pushing us forward, pushing us to. So many times, growing in our faith has less to do with kind of learning some more things. It has less to do with us doing some more things. And it has so much more to do with us stripping away all those things we try to add to God, to grace, to faith, which should be in God alone. Let me pray for us today. God, we have been reading these words from the book of Philippians. And Paul's heart is really clear. His heart is really clear throughout this book. It's focused on you. It's focused on the advancement of your gospel. It's focused on his growing faith in you. And he's begging the Philippians, he's begging us to follow that example. 
today. Paul puts a warning before us. He says, you know, so many times uh, when it comes to grace, we get confused and we try and make it about uh, how God's grace is good. It's wonderful, but we need to add just a little bit of our own flavor to it. We need to add this peace. And so we end up trusting in you. Yes, but we're also trusting something else. deeds, some set of knowledge, we're, we're, we're trusting in our bank account in you and our abilities in you, God, but what's clear today is you're calling us to trust in you, period. We're coming before you as your people saying, we need help with that. need your spirit to help us identify those things in which we're adding to the gospel. Those things that Paul is warning against. Those things that we were trusting in when we should be trusting in you. We need your spirit to bring those to our minds right now. Bring them into our heart, God. We need to hand them to you and say, I don't want to trust in this anymore. I want to trust in you alone. Or God, maybe this morning there are uh, those here who haven't really put their trust in you yet and, and they're feeling you tug on their hearts and God, let me help and make sure it's clear. feel that way, when we feel your pull on our hearts, what you tell us to do is simple. You tell us to confess. Confess all those ways we've been trying to uh, do life on our own. All those mistakes and sins that we've been carrying around with us to hand them over to you, God, and to that you're who you say you are, that you are faithful to your word, and that when we confess and believe in you, you wipe those away. You start a new relationship with you. God, we are so thankful for your grace. As we close this time of prayer, God, we affirm just like Paul did your grace is perfect it's beautiful it's wonderful there's nothing we can add to God we're sorry that we've tried to do that in your name we pray